Well, we're going to try to shift gears a little bit and um, uh, talk about our um, sermon series. We're going to be concluding today called Changing Directions. And this Wednesday will be um, Ash Wednesday, and we go into the season of Lent, which is from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, um, 40 days, not counting Sundays. I don't know why they did it that way, but that's the way they did it. And it's a period of time of reflecting, fasting maybe, um, really focusing on why Jesus came to earth, um, why he came to suffer for us and to rise again for us. So that's during the Lent season. The church has practiced this for uh, throughout history of the church. So we have some Lent devotionals that you can get out in the lobby on your way out, and you can read something every day for the uh, season of Lent. And also one of the things we're going to be doing is having a, a, a kind of a project where we have these little three-foot crosses you can put in your yards and your homes and uh, during Lent, and you'll have a purple cloth on that cross to symbolize the royalty of Christ, and then you'll have a black cloth that will be put on it on Good Friday, and then you'll have a white cloth that will be put on it on Easter Sunday. A lot of y'all are familiar with that, but we're going to have those crosses available in the next few weeks. You can take those and put them in your, your yards at home to help us as we walk through the, the Lenten season. Well, and we're also going to be doing, a lot of y'all have been in Sunday school, we're doing something called the Easter Experience with a curriculum in Sunday school that we're all kind of following. We're also going to do a sermon series with that same Easter experience that helps us all follow along and point us to Christ and, and His reason for coming to the cross and His resurrection for us. I just want to let y'all know about that. But today we're going to finish up our, our uh, series, Changing Directions. I want to give you a scenario. Now let's say you are driving into your subdivision or the uh, street where you live, your neighborhood one day, and as you're driving in, you see this guy out front, and he's doing something, and he's talking pretty loud as he's doing it, and you're like, what is that guy doing? I know that guy lives in our neighborhood. I don't really know him, but I do know he lives in our neighborhood. I've seen him walking his dog, and this and that. but he's at the front of your subdivision, and he's got Legos, and he's building a little city with Legos as you drive up, and you're going, what in the world is he doing, and what is he saying so loudly? So you, you pull over, and you said, hey, man, that's pretty cool what you're doing. What are you doing? And he says, God sent me to warn you and everyone in this subdivision. And you say, warn us about what? And he says, the coming destruction of the subdivision. You go, what? what? Why? What are you talking about? And then he shows you this Lego model as your subdivision, and he even shows you where your house is in this little model. And he says, God is pretty upset with this whole subdivision and how y'all ignore him and how you pretty much worship everything else that he has created, but you don't really worship him. So he's upset, and so he's going to destroy this subdivision, and then you will know he is the Lord. How do you respond to that? Awkward pause. And so you go, okay, well, you have a good day. And you put your window up and you start driving and you look in the rearview mirror and go, that guy's nuts. That guy is nuts. Should you call the homeowners association guy and say, yeah, you know, we got a live one out front. Do you call Coweta County Sheriff and say, we got a guy in our neighborhood that's lost his mind. You might want to check that out. Or do you get on your knees and pray? I don't know what you do. Or do you just ignore it and go on with your life and say he's nuts? So the question this morning is, do we believe that God does things in our life to wake us up in order 
to get us to change directions in our life. Do we really believe God does those things? You may believe that. How far will he let us go before he acts? How far will he let you go before he does something in your life to get your attention? And how how far will he go to get my attention or your attention? Not sure what the answer is in all of that, but we started this series, and some of you say, yeah, we've been in the Old Testament. I know it's about Old Testament characters, but actually we started this series in January looking at the response Peter made to Jesus when Jesus says, I'm going to have to go before the authorities and they're going to arrest me and they're going to torture me and they're going to put me on a cross and then I'll raise again in three days. And Peter goes, no, 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 Jesus. We've seen what you can do. That's not going to happen to you. And then Jesus rebuked Peter and said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, when we only, and Jesus knew this, but when we only have in our minds self-centered human concerns and we don't worry ourselves with God and His big picture and His sovereignty, there will always, always be a disconnect in the direction of our lives. And some of you may say, well, that sounds real preachy, Craig, but I know plenty of people who care nothing for God or any of His stuff and their lives seem to be going fine. True. We all know people like that. But, you know, God made us in His image and He made us for His purposes. And God certainly gave us free will to think about what He put us on this earth for. He gave us free will to live however we want. But we cannot escape the fact that we have God's DNA in us. We are made in and through Him and for His purposes. As Augustine expressed, our hearts are restless until we find rest in Him. That was written centuries ago, but think about that. Our hearts are restless till we really find rest in Him. And so from that first message of Jesus' conversation with Peter, over the last few weeks we've gone and we've looked at various people and um, characters from the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And each one has been about a change of direction in a person's life or multiple people or a group of people's change in their life towards God, which led others to changing the direction in their lives, and something happened to wake them up to understand the reality of God's sovereignty and power. And we've looked at that, and we started with Rahab. And whether you've been here or not, I'm just going to kind of go through who we've talked about briefly. So Rahab decided to change directions from her own human thinking. The people of Jericho go, who are these people, Israel? They think they're going to march around our huge walls of Jericho, and somehow they're going to invade us. not going to happen. But Rahab says, I've heard about this God, and I believe he's the one true God, and I believe in him. And in faith, that Israelite God was the one true God to her. And so she hid the the spies. And when Israel marched around Jericho, and on that seventh day when those walls fell in on Jericho, Rahab and her whole family were saved and became a part of changing directions to the Israelite community. And Rahab would be a part of Jesus' genealogy. And then we looked at Jonathan, the son of King Saul, and he decided to move in a different direction than his father. His father was thinking in human terms. I know what God said. I know what Samuel, his priest, said, but I'm going to do things my own way. And Jonathan saw when his dad did things his own way with his own concerns that things unraveled. 
And so Jonathan decided to respond in a different way and seek God's guidance in where they were going. And you remember that day while everybody's standing around under the pomegranate tree, Jonathan decides to do something and ask God to be with him and show him. And God did, used his faith and action and gave Israel a victory that day. And then Jonathan preached on Jonah one week, if you remember. And Jonah chose to go in a different direction from where God had directed him. He goes, I want you to go to your enemies and share with them God's love through a sermon that they need to repent. You need to share that with them. I'm not doing that. And he left and he went the opposite direction. He gets on a ship. He gets swallowed by a whale. Some of y'all know that story. But he eventually obeyed. But he was mad that God had asked him to go to his enemies and share God's mercy. And then when they heard about the destruction that would come if they didn't repent, they all repented and he was still mad. He was mad that God was concerned about his enemies. And then we looked at a man named Naaman who was a powerful military leader. And he had leprosy and he goes to Israel to find this cure from this man of God named Elisha. And he goes to his house and Elisha doesn't even come out. He just says, go wash in the Jordan seven times. I'm not washing in that filthy river. What kind of that guy? Why didn't he come out? Does he not know who I am? And his servants go, dude. If he'd asked you to do something big, would you have done it? Just do what he says and see what happens. And he does. And through that, through being obedient and humbling himself to what Elisha said, he obeyed, he was cleansed from his leprosy, and he made a major direction change in his heart and in his life that affected other people. And then last week, Jonathan shared with us Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who underwent major change of directions in their lives. They were exiled from Jerusalem from their hometown some 750 miles away to Babylon. Babylon came in and took 10,000 people away from Jerusalem, and they were part of that. So they were exiled, and they were thrust into this pagan culture with pagan gods and all kind of different things, and they changed their names. And they would not, though, as Jonathan told us, they would not change directions when it came to worshiping the one true God. Even when they were ordered to bow down to this huge gold idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, they refused, knowing that they could possibly die, but they would not change directions and worship another God. And so Nebuchadnezzar throws them into this fiery furnace, and through their faith, God changed the minds and the directions of many who saw that these three, although they were in, and then a fourth person who we believe is maybe Jesus was in there with them, that This God is the real God they worship. And it changed minds and hearts through that. So today I want us to look at someone from the same era, somebody named Ezekiel. And I don't want to slam anybody, but I probably bet most of us have not read a lot of Ezekiel. You go to the Old Testament and you go, oh, that's 48 chapters, not reading that, that's a long one. And it's weird. I'm just telling you, Ezekiel is weird and strange. It's about visions that God sent to a prophet named, a priest named Ezekiel. Much like if you've ever tried to read Revelation and go, what in the world? It's real, it has a meaning, and it's God's word. I'm not saying we shouldn't read it, we should. But it does make us scratch our head and go, what in the world is God trying to tell us? And so this book is like that. It starts with Ezekiel who... About the same time as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel got moved, he was part of those 10,000 people that got moved out of Jerusalem into Babylon. And he was 25 years old when he was taken into, into captivity. And on his 30th birthday, five years after all this has happened, he's thinking, 
Today's my 30th birthday. On my 30th birthday, I would be priest in Jerusalem today. Do you realize that? When you're 30 years old, you become a priest. Remember when Jesus started his ministry? He was 30 years old. So he's thinking about that and go, but we're not in Jerusalem anymore. I'm an exile in Babylon. I'm not going to become a priest here. I've just got to go along with the culture. But then all of a sudden, God showed him this really crazy vision. A crazy vision with it. It's almost like UFOs if you want to read about it in first and, the first and second chapters. But what it is, is it's a vision of God's glory has left the temple. It has left Jerusalem where they always thought God would be. And he has come somewhere else. And he's trying to show the glory of God to Ezekiel and saying, I have left there. It's no longer with my people because they have forsaken me over and over and over and over again in that old covenant. They worship right now in that temple. They are worshiping foreign gods while you're over here in exile. And you need to tell the people this is why all this is happening. And guess what? It's going to get worse. Because Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and that temple is going to be destroyed. You need to tell the people, even in exile, this is going to happen. Because they don't believe it. Now, when you see this crazy vision and you go to tell somebody about it, people are going to think you're nuts. They thought Ezekiel was nuts. Sure, God told you that. But God told them that. And the only way to get people to really understand is if it really happens. And guess what? It would eventually really happen. So let's read a little bit about that if we can. But God's patience has come to an end with the Jewish people. They had broken that covenant over and over again. And so God not only told Ezekiel, you're going to tell the people that they need to repent because this destruction is coming. You've already seen what's happening. That's why you're here in Babylon. But the rest of them are either going to get killed or moved over here or worse. And we're going to in the in the temple, God's temple is going to be destroyed. That'll never happen. It's going to happen. But he says, I want you to tell the people by doing some really crazy things to get their attention. Y'all know what object lessons are? We got a lot of teachers in here. We love object lessons. My kids tell me all the time, Dad, you ought to do you ought to do object lessons. Your sermons are getting boring. They don't hold back. It's all good. It's all good. So we're going to read from Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And this is one of the, a couple of the object lessons that God asked Ezekiel to tell the people about what's coming. Listen to what he says. Chapter 4, four verse 1. Now, son of man, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it. You build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it, and put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan, place it at place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. Then lie on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear the sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the number of days as the years of their sin. So, for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. After you finish this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days a day for each year. Turn your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and with bared arm prophesy against her. I will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have finished the days of your siege. Now, can you imagine waking up every day after you've heard Ezekiel say this stuff, and you've walked out and you go, Hey, honey, did you see the lunatic out in the town square that's made a 
you know, a, a Play-Doh city, and he's saying that God's going to destroy it. What is up with that? And you know, you go to the market, you go to your job, you go to the well to get water, whatever you do, and you keep seeing this guy. He's out there every day talking about this destruction that's coming, and it's because we've forsaken God. And I'm sure people said, he's crazy. Never happened. God's never going to destroy, allow uh, Jerusalem to get destroyed by their enemies. They're God's people. It's his temple. He'll never let it be destroyed. What is he talking about? But think about that. And then you see him lying on his side. Did y'all hear that? 390 days. That's over a year. You walk out every day and see this guy lying with ropes tied around him, laying on the ground with his face towards this little model of Jerusalem. You go, that guy's crazy. What is he doing? Get up, you lunatic. And then he does that for over a year, and then he does it for 40 more days. And you're going, I don't know what to tell this guy. I guess he just becomes part. Oh, there's the lunatic, you know. He's not going to stop. Well, here's the crazy thing, y'all. Seven years later, somebody walks into Babylon and says, Jerusalem fell today. The temple is completely destroyed. Exactly what Ezekiel had been telling all those people. He's not so crazy now, is he? He knew he got a vision from God. And can you imagine if it were you that you got a vision from God that nobody else saw, that nobody else believed, but you know that God told you to say that and you had to say it. Can you imagine how hard that would be? But that's what Ezekiel did. And then for the next 22 years, he talked about the judgment and destruction that was coming and then it came. But this is what always happens in the Old Testament. And don't miss this. God always, always, always has an alternative hope for the future for all of us. Yes, there is justice and punishment that has to come because we broke our covenant with God. But there is always an alternative hope of restoration for the future. Even in that old covenant there was. So, you know, Ezekiel talks about all these many predictions and warnings that he's going to share. I challenge you to give up some social media time or some TV time in the next few days and read the rest of chapter 4. You won't believe. He got to eat during that time when he was lying on the ground, but you won't believe what God asked him to do while he was eating. I hope it gets your interest and you'll read it. And go ahead and read the whole book. I bet it'll be hard to pull, put down. And some of you may have heard in chapter 37, and I need to correct myself, in the first service I accidentally said 27, and someone came up to me after the service and made sure that I knew that I was wrong, and I'm so glad because I love this guy because I know he knows the Bible, and he called me out, and he needed to call me out because I said 27 and it's 37. But in chapter 37 of Ezekiel, it's the Valley of Dry Bones. Y'all ever heard about the Valley of Dry Bones? Dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. Yeah, some of y'all know that song. The rest of y'all are going, he's crazy. But if you grew up in church, you remember that. But there's an amazing story where God does something else. He gives Ezekiel a vision that everybody doesn't get to see. He looks over this huge valley of bones of dead soldiers that for centuries have been fighting there. And they're dead and there's bones all over the place. And all of a sudden he goes, watch what I can do. And he all of a sudden sees these bones coming up out of the ground. And then he sees um, muscle and vessels coming on these skeletons. And then he sees skin coming on these skeletons. And then he sees an army clothes or whatever they wore in those days on these skeletons. And they become real people and they start walking. And God says, that's what I can do. That's how I can restore people. I have that power because of my sovereignty. And Ezekiel saw that. It's a picture of the resurrection, y'all. That God has power over death. 
And so he does that, and again, Ezekiel has to see that. But God does tell them there's going to be this destruction coming to Israel specifically and ultimately to Judah, and it happened in seven years. And he says, but there's alternative hope for the future for Israel. And then he says, guess what? It's not just Israel. It's all these people who know who God is, but they say, we don't want anything to do with God. We're going to do it our way. There's going to be punishment on those countries too. But guess what? There's an alternative hope for the future for them. And there's always going to be an alternative piece. Because even in that destruction, even in that judgment, Israel, guess what? You will know because 60 times, over 60 times in Ezekiel, you hear this phrase. After the judgment, then you will know that he is the Lord. That's for you, Israel. After all this destruction and after all this exile, you will know that he is the Lord. And all your neighbors will know that he is the Lord. And guess what? In the times of restoration, after all this exile, and you get to go back to Jerusalem and try to re, uh, restore things, you will know that he is the Lord. You will know that he is the Lord over 60 times in the book of Ezekiel. In all the visions and the predictions of judgment, there would be this long period of exile, about 70 years. And during this exile, Israel would have the opportunity to repent and understand that God really is who he said he was, but it wouldn't be in their home anymore and it wouldn't be with their temple anymore. But there was this alternative hope for the future. And the future would not only bring the people of God back together, but they would know God and they would desire him and then they will know that he is the Lord and they would stay in this relationship with him. In chapter 11, God promises this, I will give them an undivided heart and I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Do you all know anybody in your circle of friends and your family that has a heart of stone right now? How about a world leader that might have a heart of stone right now? And God says, I can take whoever it is and I can change that heart of stone into a heart of flesh and I'll replace it. Think about that prediction for a minute. The coming of Jesus, that's what Jesus taught. The old covenant didn't work. We can't get to God by following the rules because I'm a rule breaker. I'm going to always break the rules. That's my nature. But there's going to be a new covenant in his blood. And we're going to celebrate that a little bit later in the service. His death and resurrection and ascension. And the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's what all of that in chapter 11 is pointing to. An undivided heart. A new spirit in us. A heart of stone replaced by a heart of flesh. And Jesus didn't do that with military power, did he? He did it in a strange way. At the end of the book, God describes a time when there will be a redistribution of land in the, in the end of Ezekiel. And God's people would live in a new city. And the name of that city from that time on will be, the book closes with this, the Lord is there. It's not going to be called Jerusalem anymore because it's not going to be Jerusalem. It's going to be the Lord is there. And he's giving us this beautiful picture. And then they will know I am the Lord. So back to my story at the beginning. You remember that crazy guy who was building Legos in your subdivision? Well, let's say you're coming home seven years later from vacation and you're getting ready to pull into your subdivision or your street or your neighborhood and there's filled with first responders. There's the yellow tape that's up. You can't get in. And you roll down your window and go, what's going on? Man, this whole neighborhood's been destroyed by earthquake. Every house in here is utterly destroyed. And you think back to that lunatic seven years ago who told you that this was going to happen. And you go, holy cow. That guy was right. 
Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody or, or say that that's going to happen. I'm just saying, when I read God's Word and it happened hundreds of years ago, it seems archaic to me, does it to you? But when I try to take God's Word, which He has given me for a reason to know who He is and who I'm supposed to be, I have to look at it and say, how does this affect me in 2022? And man, y'all, we're looking at some crazy stuff going on in the world, aren't we? And we are unsure of what's next, aren't we? But we have an alternative hope for the future, just like the Jews did, just like the people of Ezekiel's time. We have the opportunity in our lives to change directions and start to concern ourselves with God and His ways and His purposes, to align ourselves with God and to come into relationship with God. And God's Word has been clearly given to us, and we have clearly seen throughout the last few weeks how God works through people in history who have seen God's power and sovereignty in weird ways that we can't explain. It's called supernatural. And God can work that way because He's sovereign. But those people have come to the realization that we read about in the Bible that He is the Lord. I didn't always like what He did, Jonah. I didn't always like how He made me go through it. But He is the Lord. No doubt about that. Have you ever had one of those moments? When that happened, I knew God was real. I bet some of y'all have. And you could come up here and tell it right now. After that experience, then I knew God was real. And when you had that and you try to explain it to people, they go... Yeah, right, whatever, you're crazy. But you know what happened, don't you? And God revealed himself to you. You have heard God's word today. But please understand, the bad news of breaking the old covenant led to God's justified wrath. But there was always an alternative hope for the future. And that is the good news of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And that good news is this. Instead of God destroying my neighborhood, destroying my home, or allowing me to be separated eternally from Him because of my sin and rebellion and selfishness, Jesus allowed not my house to be destroyed, not my neighborhood, but His body to be destroyed. He was beaten, He was nailed, and He was put on that cross for six long hours, y'all, and He bled out for me and my sin. He bled out for you and for your sin. He didn't take your home away. And here's the thing I don't want to hear this morning, but if I believe in the gospel and the new covenant, I have to hear this. He also bled out for the sins of Vladimir Putin. He also bled out for the sins of Russia. He also bled out for the sins of the Ukraine and of the United States and of every nation in this world because we have all sinned and forsaken our God, our God. And if we really believe that, then our life will, then our life must change directions. Because we know He is the Lord. Now, I know it's hard sometimes. If I was, if I was in the Ukraine, if I'm watching those things, and I'm, I'm not even on the scale of the Powells. I don't even want to say that, but it still concerns me. But when you watch that, you, we need to have hope, y'all. The Christians of the world need to know that that hope that Ezekiel saw, guess what? Eventually, some awful things happened to Israel, but guess what? They have the opportunity to be restored to God, who is the Lord. And we've all done some bad things. Man, I've done some awful things I'm glad y'all don't know about. But I have the opportunity to be restored to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We all do. That's the good news of the gospel and the new covenant. And maybe you need this morning to say, I need the Lord. I know he's God, and I need to acknowledge that he is the Lord, and we want to give that opportunity this morning. And we're going to do that in just a minute. I'm going to ask Robbie and our praise team to come on up.
and they're going to lead us in a song. And just think about that Jesus hung on that cross for you and for me and for all the world. He was absolutely justified in allowing us to die in our sins, but he didn't, did he? He did not. And so we want to celebrate that in communion this morning. If you're uh, visiting with us for the first time, we take communion every week because we need to be reminded. Jesus asked us to remember what he did for us when we came together to worship. And so we practice that every week. If you're not a member here, it doesn't matter. If you'd like to participate in communion day, we're going to do that in just a little bit. And you can get one of those packs. If you didn't get a chance to go out and get one, you can sneak out and get one right now or while we sing this next song. But we want to focus this morning on what Christ did for all of humanity to set us right with him again. And it's for all people. And it gives us hope. The resurrection hope that we have. He can defeat death. Because the thing we're scared of most, y'all, is death. And Jesus has defeated sin and death for us to give us an alternative hope for the future. And so this morning, as we stand, I'm going to ask you all to stand. If you've got a decision this morning, I'll be here to try to walk you through that. But if not, let's just prepare our hearts for communion as we stand and sing together this morning.